episode 21 of From the Shed End podcast. Uh, myself, T-Dot, and Theo, first of all. How you doing, Theo? I'm good. A uh, bit of a late night sleep uh, last night with following all the transfer drama. So I'm a bit tired today, or I've been tired throughout the day, but otherwise than that, I'm pretty good, thanks. And yourself? Yeah, yeah, not bad. Busy, busy couple of days, um, like yourself, you know, watching yesterday sort of looking at the clock and and, and hoping deals are going to get done for us so um which i'm sure we're going to talk about later as well but um as always how we start the podcast um if you're on twitter or instagram you can follow us at from the shed end that's on twitter and instagram is at from the shed end with underscore between each of the words um so give us a like um, and obviously on YouTube as well. So you can subscribe to us and um, give us a like comment on, on the videos as well. So all of that's appreciated. But if we, we kick off straight away, um, brilliant game. Well, I'll say brilliant. Depends how you look at it from what perspective, but um, Anfield, give me your thoughts. Liverpool 1-1, a lot to talk about. I mean, you kind of summed it up there. It's kind of how you see the game, how it kind of unfolded. It's a brilliant point given the circumstances, being down to 10 men and playing a full 45 minutes with 10 players. But it's also quite disappointing um, that how things unfolded with the red card and especially, you know, how we played in that first half and how we kind of, you know, all the chances we created when we had a full squad, it almost goes to show that we could have actually, you know, snatched the three points which at Anfield away from home, which is always a difficult ground to go to. So it's, it's kind of, it's a bit bittersweet in a way. Um, but let's focus on, you know, what did happen on the pitch and not what didn't happen. But um, we, we got a point. And I think we probably one of the best defensive performances I've seen in a very long time from this Chelsea side. And I just know that had that been, you know, uh, you know, had we gone down to 10 men, say, last season or two seasons ago, I think we would have crumbled under the pressure, would have conceded maybe two or three. And actually, I think we did uh, go down to Liverpool, um, down to 10 men against Liverpool last season when uh, Christensen got sent off. And, you know, we just kind of almost crumbled. I think Mane scored two quite quickly after. Oh, I maybe had, he'd already scored one before the red card. But I remember it being quite a tight, uh, difficult game to watch. But don't get me wrong, it was a difficult game to watch on, on, um, on Saturday. But, um, but yeah, I, I felt I, I, it's the first time in a very long time I've celebrated a point because um, it's the way it felt. You know, Mendy kind of dealt with everything that was fired from him from long range and I thought you know Silva coming in at half time he did brilliantly and not to mention uh, Rudiger and um and uh and Christensen who for me Christensen was my man of the match but yeah overall an amazing defensive performance and I think what Tuchel's really brought to this team having come in in January is this kind of defensive stability where it almost looks like we're not going to concede a goal and you know we know how to defend leads we know how to defend um you know draws in this situation and it was overall a fantastic um one point i'm gonna put it like that <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I agree with you a lot i think um there's a lot of positives to take from a game um and and knowing the um the difficulties you can face at anfield as well with the the front three of um well depending on who he, he who he starts if it's you know jota or mane salah um Firmino, you know we know the dangers that they can they can give us as well so i think i think we started really well i thought it was end to end. I thought it was very sort of um, a typical kind of Liverpool Chelsea game in terms of you know that intensity was there straight away from kickoff, and um, it was enjoyable to watch. Um, as, as, as crazy as that sounds, you know, it was a, it was a brilliant game to watch. But I thought we I thought we matched Liverpool in all in all you know before the talk um, talk of the game 
there was talk about Lukaku and, and Van Dijk and um, you know that match up together. And I just I just thought it was potentially overhyped. And um, I think watching the game back, there was um, a comment made in commentary that you know that the hype was around Van Dijk and Lukaku, but actually it was Mesa Mount and Kai Havertz that were causing Liverpool's defence all the trouble. Um, you know there was plenty of chances. I think we had in the in the first half. I think um, Havertz could potentially square it to Lukaku at that point I think we've already scored it's 1-0 which was a brilliant goal um, from the corner whether it was intentional or not but still still a goal Um, but just in terms of the chances that we had when it was 1-0 knowing the danger that um, Liverpool can can give you when when we go 1-0 up we've got those chances there and Mason Mount had a a brilliant chance very unlucky as well beats uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's left him, you know, left him for for, for, for everything and um, was just unfortunate not to score. But again, that's an opportunity where Lukaku was in a brilliant position as well. So it was it was a tough one to take in the first half. Um, but what I want to ask you about, which has obviously um, been the, the bone of contention, is the, the uh, penalty incident. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a mixed um, opinion, but I'm going to ask you what yours was and, and your take on, on the whole event that took place. I mean... It's Anthony Taylor again, so whatever he does, it's almost going to just annoy Chelsea fans regardless. And, you know, we there's countless tweets out there with or threads or even videos now kind of showcasing all the different incidents that have gone against Chelsea when Anthony Taylor's officiated one of our games. And for me, it was a penalty. I'll give it to him. It was a penalty. Um, had, you know, Rhys James's arm not been there, it would have gone in and it would have been a goal. But I don't think it's a red card. I think the red card is extremely harsh. Um especially the fact that it comes off his knee and then it hits his arm. The one thing maybe, you know, if I want to play devil's advocate, his arm was kind of, you know, in a motion of swinging forwards. However, I don't think it was going in, even if it was swinging forwards. So, um, you know, the fact that it hit his knee first, then his arm. And if I really want to reflect on events of the past as well, I'm just remembering in the FA Cup final when, when Iosi Perez, you know, kneed it, hit his arm. And I think he ended up assisting, or that was in the build-up, at least to Tillerman's goal, which was the winner in the end, in the FA Cup final against Chelsea. So I was almost feeling if you can assist the goal with your arm, why can't you, you know, use it in a defensive way? You know, so it's kind of, it's frustrating in a way. And then what even frustrates me even more, which kind of the commentators picked up on and the pundits after the game, I think Aspilicueta mentioned it as well, is that Anthony Taylor goes to the VAR screen and looks at a still image of the, of the relay and not the actual replay in motion, which is even more frustrating. So um, I, it was it was quite annoying to watch, and it kind of from a neutral point of view as well, it would have it really killed the game. I felt because you know we could have gone into that second half and had a brilliant game of football if it was eleven versus eleven. But I'm curious to know, being because you were at Anfield on Saturday, I want to know kind of what it what kind of occurred in the away end when all of that was unfolding. Um, well, it was. Uh... It was interesting, <laughs> put it like that. Um, it was, it was, it was, it was hard to tell. I think because I think at the at the time, it almost looks like he just hits his knee. Um, you don't really see it. Obviously, the, the the sort of quickness that it all happened in as well. I don't think you actually get to see what's actually happened. You you kind of caught up in the moment of the game. But um, watching it back, uh, it was. <laughs> it's a harsh one, and I know the letter of the law is that it's touched his it's touched his arm. It's touched a part. Of his arm, which is technically in the laws of the game, it's handball. Um, I, it takes me back. To, I think it was Luis Suarez in in a in. I think it was for uh, might have been one of the World Cups. Mm. Asamoah Gyan, 
and it was yeah. very similar. I think he he basically handballs it on the line. Very different because it, it, that was very deliberate. But um, I know he got a straight red, and even after the game, he said, you know, "I had to do that, take it for the team, sort of thing." But I think with Reese James, it was very harsh because at that point, where does he put his arms? You know, does he put them behind his back? That's very unnatural. They were down his side. It's not like he literally, you know, volleyed the ball, volleyballed it out of the nets, you know, or saved it with his hands. Or it was just a natural reaction. He can't move his arm anywhere. If he moves it up, he's going to be classed as handball. If he puts it down, it goes in for a goal. So I think it was, um, I think it was very harsh. Obviously, looking back today, I think there's been um, the FA of basically. Um, I don't know if they've opened the investigation or they're they're fining fining us for for these sort of uncontrollable players on the pitch. But when you look look back at replays, there's plenty of, you know, if you're going to give the fine to Chelsea, then surely Liverpool will have to hold the same um, punishment as well because it's, you know, the two go hand in hand for me. Yeah, I'd have to agree about that. If Chelsea are being charged by the FA for not being able to control their players, then Liverpool should be held accountable as well. I think. After the penalty incident, Mendy went to clear the ball and accidentally almost hit Henderson or whoever. And then about three or four Liverpool players just came flying at his face. And I don't know what happened in the tunnel afterwards. But, you know, Azpilicueta was quite vocal to Anthony Taylor, but he's completely entitled to be to do that. He's the captain at the end of the day. But it's, um, it was difficult. I think, as you said, when you're watching it live, it was so hard to tell that even hit his arm. I was almost, it looked like pinball in the penalty box. And I was celebrating when it got cleared out because I thought, woof, we just avoided a goal. But, um, but then when you, when you watch the replay, it does hit his arm. But as you said, I think it's a, his arm's in a natural position. It's nothing like that Suarez handball at the World Cup or even I think the Fernandinho one two seasons ago when um, he got a red card at Stamford Bridge and Williams scored the penalty because I think his arm was you know, away from his body and he kind of flicked it away of his arm. But Rhys James doesn't flick it away, it kind of just brushes his arm after hitting his knee. So it's... It's extremely harsh, and I just kind of hope that if it, we are going to give get reds and penalties for these type of you know incidents, that at least it stays consistent. Because I think what we've we've seen from the last couple of seasons is that there's no consistency in these handball rules. There's no consistency on the handball rules, not just in the penalty box, but in the pitch into in the whole area of the pitch. So as long as there's some consistency and they kind of award more penalties and red cards for these, then it will make sense to me why he got sent off. But otherwise, I just I'm still a bit bamboozled by it all. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely changed the game as well. Um, there was subs. Obviously, Kante came off with the ankle injury anyway, but the, the defensive subs that um, Thomas Tuchel had to make for the second half showed a lot of resilience and it showed a lot of, you mentioned it at the start of the uh, episodes, how, how well we can defend without conceding. Um, I thought Mendy was was brilliant in goal. Um, you know, he pulled off some brilliant saves two or three brilliant saves in the second half as well. But I think just as a, as a team, you know, defensively, we looked a lot better. There was obviously um, discussions at halftime to do that. But what was your what was your take on, you know, that second half? You know, people call it parking the bus, but is it not just a case that we actually defended, which is part of the game, which is, you know, it's an element of football. You have to defend just as much as you have to attack. Definitely. I think, you know, we're completely entitled to, if you want to call it, park the bus or just play a bit more defensive. And you can say we were defensive, but I think we still had one or two shots on target in that second half, I think, with the Kovacic chance and uh, the Lukaku volley, I think, when Alonso headed it to him. So it was almost maybe we were defending, but in the hope of maybe having a counter-attack chance and trying to score. But um, I think when you're playing like a, a team like Liverpool with 10 men, you've got, you're almost forced to just park the bus or play with, you know, 
10 players behind the ball at times. I think Lukaku was quite, you know, the sole striker, you know, in the hope that we'd have a break, um, break a, a, a counter-attack and try to score. But um, I'm not going to criticize the tactics at all for that second half because it got us the point. And um, as you said, uh, Mendy, was, Mendy was superb. Um, you know, I, think, I don't think they had a kind of clear-cut chance. A lot of the chances were from long range. I think Henderson, Fabinho, Van Dijk, they all had chances from long range. And Mendy looked comfortable dealing with those and he did a great job. So probably my second man of the match alongside Christensen. Yeah, I'd have to second. I think the whole team could have got man of the match in yeah. the second half, to be fair. You know, everyone literally worked 10 out of 10 for the effort. So, you know, I think it's um, definitely a point gained rather than two points lost. And going to Anfield this early in the season, for me anyway, is 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 brilliant. You know, I, I think normally the last couple of seasons we played them normally the back end of the season, normally April or May. And at that at that point, you know, you kind of may need a point or you might need a win, you know, to maybe secure the league or secure top four. So to get that game out of the way so early and play in the manner that we did, I thought was brilliant as well. But um, long break now until I think it's the 11th of September, Aston Villa, half five for the, for the next game. But um, yesterday you mentioned earlier, Obviously, there was um, yeah, a, a bit of a delay getting getting our our transfer through that we eventually did. Um, so, to give me your thoughts on our new midfielder, what what do you think? Yeah, I was um, I was scrolling, refreshing Twitter every two seconds on Fabrizio Romano's um feed, but um, but yeah, it's 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 a strange one because I think I was kind of a bit on the fence in the previous episode when I we spoke about Salnagers. I thought you know if we sign him great it's great but if we don't sign him then I'm not too fast but you know looking back now and I kind of you know re- reading a lot of kind of insights on Twitter or on on, on Eurosport and other um, sporting apps I realized that um, we do need maybe that that midfielder that can come up with goals because when you look back mm-hmm. I know that Jorginho was our our highest um, goal scorer in the Premier League but he's not going to contribute with many goals from you know open play Kovacic, we know his goal-scoring record at Chelsea, and Kante, you know, once in the blue moon, he'll get a, a good goal. But, um, but I think Salnagaz, he's got, he had a fair few goals in the last couple of seasons. I think um, he's not, I haven't really, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I haven't watched a lot of La Liga, but um, but what I have seen from him in the Champions League games, he was superb. I must remember a brilliant goal he scored against Bayern Munich, I think, in in the knockout stages in 2016. He might have even scored at Stamford Bridge when he, we played them in the group stages, I think, in the back end of 2017, and. He's a very good player and he's a Spanish international as well. And I think the fact that Mourinho Granovskova probably managed to haggle to get him on loan first with an option to buy, not an obligation, but an option to buy for 35 million is absolutely super business, I think. Because should he perform, we get him for 35 million. Should we not be that fast in signing him, you know, on a on a permanent deal? We we miss out on him, but we know we wouldn't have paid, you know, any any money at all. So I, I am excited to see him and I think, you know, it when we spoke about the depth that you know our squad needs going into the season, having that fourth midfielder, which I thought maybe is an option, should should Gilmore you know, having having sent Gilmore out on loan, I think um, kind of solves that issue. And um, clearly, Tuchel as well wanted him. So to have Kovacic, Gil, uh, Kovacic, Salnagers, Jorginho, and Kante, I can't really think of another team in world football that's got you know that good of a midfield in a way. So I'm excited to have him, and um, I'm excited as well to see him maybe play on against Aston Villa on the 11th of September, which I secured my tickets for today. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited for that as well. Good job. Yeah. 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 I think, um, yeah, I think, I think you're, I think you're right. You know, we spoke about, um, some sound on, on the previous episode and 
what he can bring to the midfield, definitely goals um, and definitely depth as well. And I think that is going to be key this season, regardless of whether, you know, we, we have injuries along the way or, you know, COVID might, there might be a COVID outbreak as well. But I think in terms of what he brings, regardless of, of those um, possibilities is the fact that he, he can score goals from midfield. And that's something that we have lacked for a couple of seasons now. So I think he brings something different. It's a different option. Um, it allows Tuchel to potentially tweak certain parts of the the, the style of play that we're, we're trying to bring in. Um, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I'm excited. I think yesterday when the, when the deal was going through or potentially not going through, because I think at one point um, I, I read that it wasn't going to go through because of the Anton Griezmann, um, Luke, Luke De Jong sort of deals were relying on the sound the Gez as well so they were all in, interlinked and they all needed to, to go through at the same time and I think it was a couple of minutes potentially before deadline that it actually went through yeah. so um, 10, 10, 10, I, I, 10, 10, I think it was yeah 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 so it was almost like a De Gea uh, sort of transfer a couple of, couple of years ago but I agree with you, you know, I think to have the option rather than obligation to buy is definitely key. And I said that on the previous episode that we need to try and get the option rather than an obligation. I think it's going to work out. I think he's going to, you know, for 35 million, I think we're going to get ourselves a brilliant midfielder, um, which we've been kind of lacking. You know, we've tried other options and brought other players in that potentially we thought could do that, but they just haven't done it for us. So I think to bring in this kind of quality um, for, for the price that we are eventually, hopefully, I think it's a steal. I really do. I think it's a steal. It kind of masks over the Zuma deal, which we spoke about last week and, and losing Zuma um, for, for, for the price that we did. This kind of makes up for it in some ways. It is, and it's always a bit more exciting maybe signing a, a you know a midfielder who can score goals than a, a centre-back as well because we did miss out on on Kunde last, last night as well, I think, whether you know, we really went to the end with the deal, but I think Sevilla kind of upped their price or they were asking for too much money. And again, Kunde was one I was excited about, but had it not really worked out, you know, it's kind of I would have not been, you know, been really that upset about, especially with Chiloba's emergence in preseason. And um potentially there was rook talks as well last night about Ampadu staying for another season, you know, but he did end up going on loan to, to Venezia, which I just want to briefly touch upon. I think it's uh, quite a poor, poor loan move, in my opinion. I think um yeah. you know, when you when you've gone from Sheffield, who just who got relegated last season to a newly pro- promoted team in, Sy- in Serie A who just came out from Serie B, I think it's quite, you know, it's almost a de- when you thought that you, could you get downgraded from, you know, a relegated Premier League team? Well, well there you go. I think a promoted Serie, Serie B team into Serie, into Serie A. So um, I was expecting him to go on loan to maybe a, I don't know, a Southampton or even a Burnley, potentially a team that, you know, are quite consistent in the Premier League with their performances and, you know, at least, uh, you know, can finish around 15th or 16th. But um, to go to, to a newly promoted Serie A team, I think is, I was quite, I was quite shocked about. And I don't think, you know, we saw his move to Leipzig um, I think two seasons ago in Bundesliga. I didn't really work out either. So, but I think there's this appeal now for Serie A to kind of lure these Premier League British players, which we're seeing a lot more of now. And I think there was also talks of Loftus-Cheek wanted by Napoli and Roma at periods as well last night. Yeah. So, so I don't know, but um, but I think that's quite a poor loan move. I hope it works out, and I hope I'm proven wrong. But um, I would have liked him to stay in the Premier League at least. Yeah, because I think he's definitely one for the future. You know, I think looking back at some of his games for Sheffield United, he, you know, he did play well, albeit that they got relegated. But I, I think he's got the experience to play in the Premier League now, and it would have been nice to see him maintain that, build on that for 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 the future. You know, I think, like I said, you know, he's got he's got something about him that I think will get him into the Chelsea's 
uh, team at some point. But yeah, you know, we have to see. Um, it is going to be tough for him. It's going to be even probably more difficult than he was at Sheffield United. Fair play, they've got a decent kit. Uh, and that's the best thing about them. Um, but apart from that, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a bit of a struggle for him there. But you mentioned um, a couple of the, the lower knees that have gone out. We can finally uh, say that Danny Drinkwater uh, has gone on loan as well. And Baba Rahman, I think, went on loan. I think to Redden, I think um, the deals were done. Mm, both of them went to Redden, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, Ross Barkley, I think is he is he still with us or did he did he end up going? He's still with us. I think he's still able to move <laughs> to Turkey or teams in Eastern Europe. But yeah. as it stands, he's still a Chelsea player without a squad number. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I laugh, but it's it's you know it's it's a serious thing. You know, I think when you look at the quality that he potentially does have, he's not in the contention for Chelsea at all. He hasn't got a squad number. Um, it just shows. I don't know if it's a lack of uh, wanting to do or is it just the fact that there's ongoing issues between maybe the club and, and, and Ross Barkley that we just don't know about but it just seems very odd that a player of, who, who has got the, the quality to play at a top Premier League club would rather sit and not play football mm, I think there, there was talks last night as well of Burnley maybe being interested in getting him on a loan deal but in the end I think his, maybe his wages were too much or they couldn't come to an agreement but it is it is sad because I think he is a quality player on his day. And if you know he's not able to seal a loan move to another Premier League club, even if Aston Villa didn't want to take him for another season on loan, or he wasn't able to go back to Everton, it's kind of, you know, is his Premier League journey over now? Does he look abroad? Does he kind of, you know, resort to going to Turkey and, you know, trying to salvage something um, in the Turkish division? But but clearly he's not in Tuchel's plans. Um, I think, you know, him not being in a squad last season and being at Aston Villa when Tuchel came in in January really damage his chances of, you know, breaking into the team. Um, and, you know, we, we spoke about the amount of players and, that we had this summer. And I think he was one of those casualties alongside maybe, you know, the, the Drinkwaters, the Barbar Ramans, the Kennedys, Zappa Costa, that, you know, just are fringe players now and maybe just keep on signing them up to new contracts in the hope that, you know, we don't want to let them go for free. But one day a club will come in and buy them like we got with Zappa Costa in the end. So... Fingers crossed that he does manage to sort something out and manages to get a move somewhere and hopefully um, gets gets to play some football this season. Yeah, and another player that was linked to um, leaving yesterday was um, Callum Hudson-Odoi, who I believe there was a bit of interest in Germany for him. Nothing was nothing came of that um, that deal, so. He looks like he's into cause plans to to an extent up until at least January. So, what what's your thoughts on that? Does he have a, a part to play? Can he maybe play right wing back? Um, you know, potentially when Reese James needs a rest, is that maybe the thinking behind two cause two cause plans? I think he's definitely an important player to to, to our squad. Um, just the one problem is this kind of his game time is quite inconsistent. He'll play one or two games, then not play for maybe three or four weeks, then play one or two. Um, but if um, you know, now that we, we've sold a centre-back, maybe Aspie will be more seen as a centre-back this season, which means that Rhys James and Hudson-Odoi will rotate from time to time as the right wing-backs. And even, you know, our next coming out of the international break, we've got Rhys James on a suspension. Do we play Hudson-Odoi as right wing-back? Do we play Aspilicueta? But um, I think the loan move to Dortmund would have been perfect for him because I think that's a brilliant club for, you know, young English wingers' development like we've seen with Jadon Sancho. But at the same time, I do. I was kind of hoping he would stay because 
I don't want this squad, you know, this is a Champions League winning squad. We need to build on it, not get rid of players and, you know, maybe replace them with players that we need or get rid of too many players and not replace them. So I'm kind of, I'm glad he stayed and we'll, hopefully he will play a part this season. And we have to remember, he, he scored some important goals for us last season. The, the yeah. opener against Ren away, which kind of brought us the, the three points in the end. And um, he scored some others, I think, quite early on in the season, the opener against Krasnodar in Russia. So um, I think he will, yeah, I mean, he will play a part this season and I wouldn't even be surprised if he plays right wing back on um, against Villa on the 11th, having really kind of made that position his own in, in pre-season. Yeah, be be interesting to see because um, I think it's straight red as well, wasn't it? So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a couple of games I think that he'll miss now. Um, but we'll see. Um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Justin, uh, I'm glad he's staying. I think he's got, I agree with you, I think he's got a massive part to play at the club. It would be a shame to see him go. But, you know, I think we've got to, I've said it before on, on previous episodes, we, we've got to have that depth this season in the squad for numerous reasons. And I think, like you said, you know, if we're going to try and push for the lead, you do need that that rotation in, in the squad. To be able to do that, you need the best players that you've got to, to your uh, capability. So, it's going to be interesting. I still tip us for the league. I still think, you know, looking at how we've played, um, you know, Liverpool was a massive test for us. And I think we passed it regardless that we dropped two points. I still think we, you know, a couple of seasons ago, we potentially would have lost that game. And I think the the desire and the, 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 um, the, the togetherness, you know, the cohesion that was there in that squad defensively tells me that we are, a you know, a, a title challenging team now we've got to be we've got to be there and I think just making top four for me personally isn't isn't enough this season I think we've got to push our boundaries now we've won the Champions League which is to me which I have this conversation all the time but it's potentially sometimes harder to win that than it is to win the Premier League in my in some aspects so I think um yeah you know we've got we've got to do we've got to try and push for the league but I want to get your view now that the window's shut We've got Lukaku, we've got Sal Niguez. We've kept and retained the, the best core of the team, if you want to call it that. And we've got a goalkeeper in Bentinelli who, who can play um, a part when uh, Edouard Mendy is not here. So what do you think about the overall transfer that we've, the, the transfer market that we've done, the, the, the buy-in? I think we're 25 or maybe 35 million in profit as well after all the sales that we've had. So what do you think about the transfer itself, um, the window and what are our chances of potentially winning the Premier League this season? I think it was a brilliant transfer window. We um, we improved in all those positions we needed. We needed a striker. We got Lukaku, which is probably maybe our second choice after Haaland, but at the same time, it's a 20-goal-a-season striker who's proven in Premier League and in Serie A. I couldn't really ask for much more in a way, and we've seen it on his debut against Arsenal what he can offer. And even with 10 men, he was kind of still causing problems to Liverpool. So he was going to have a fantastic season. We got Bettinelli, who's going to be a third-choice goalie, which we needed after Capistan and Caballero. We got our midfielder, you know, goal-scoring midfielder, which we spoke about previously in the episode. And then I look at Manchester City this season, who are probably our closest rivals in terms of who can win the league, before, you know, maybe a month ago. And have they had a good transfer window? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they got Jack Grealish, but is that, you know, the player that they needed realistically? Maybe not. They needed more of a Harry Kane, a Haaland, or even a Lukaku themselves. So, and they haven't looked that impressive, if I'm honest, in their past couple of games. They were, I mean, I know that they beat Arsenal 5-0 and Norwich 5-0, but there's a type of maybe results you'd expect given the circumstances of the games. But um, I kind of, I want to look at Manchester United, maybe. We haven't really mentioned his name yet on this episode, but 
Cristiano Ronaldo returning <laughs> to the Premier League. I think he could be a really, really good, important player to them. Um, they got Sancho, they got Varane. They've kind of, you know, improved in all the positions they needed except for defensive midfielder and maybe as well manager. But they could really challenge us, I think. But otherwise, it's just so hard not to look past Chelsea. And as you said, Liverpool would have been a really tough, you know, challenge. And the fact we came out of that really well early on in the season is a good indication of, you know, what's to come later on in the season. I can't just hope that this international break doesn't really break um international break doesn't break the flow of the togetherness and the cohesion of the team like you mentioned but otherwise i'm I'm confident that you know we can challenge to win the league for sure yeah i think we can and i think we i think we have to it would be interesting because i know um, sal naguez was probably on the list of united's transfer targets as well and he probably fits in even more so at united than he does at chelsea so you know, it feels like we've got one up on United, but I do think, um, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo is a is a massive marquee sign, and um, he's still he's he, you know wherever he, wherever he goes, he scores and he does you know massive numbers as well. So it's going to be interesting. I think that transfer definitely puts United in the the contention. Obviously, Varane being there as well, Jadon Sancho, Cavani still being there, Mason Greenwood looks like a, a brilliant player as well. So I think we've got to look at. If it was me, I'd be looking at Man City, United, and Liverpool um, as our as our main threats this season. I think they're going to be the, the three clubs that are going to give us trouble. Um, you know, Everton, maybe I'm messing. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think um, you know, I think City and United definitely, and Liverpool. Obviously, we know what they can do if they keep all their players fit. They, they're definitely, uh, you know, a, a potential title challenges as well so it's going to be an interesting season um i agree as well i think the the international break and i say this every season comes at the wrong time because we just get into the momentum of the season then you've got that massive break and it feels like it's a lot longer i think there's three internationals um whilst the, the teams are away at the moment and i'm pretty sure there's some in october at the start of october as well so it's just the worst thing that you can do during a season yeah, I'm just remembering the last international break just after, I think, after Easter weekend and we came out of it with a, a 5-2 defeat to West Brom. So, um, yeah, I, I just really hope that doesn't really break the flow of the, you know, these performances we're having. But I completely agree with you. Liverpool, City and United as our three challengers. I don't even want to mention the North London clubs. I think they've had, they've, they've spent a ridiculous can amount. Mention, can mention <laughs> For, for, yeah, for the wrong reasons, maybe. But, but I think they've they spent the most money this this transfer window, and I don't think they've improved that much on their squads. So, um, but yeah, I think um, there's, maybe they'll challenge for Europa if they get their act together after the, the international break, and um, maybe if they change manager as well, if it if it convenes to them. But but I, I think we said it on a previous episode, and we'll kind of cement our our, our kind of um, predictions again. But I think Chelsea will win the Premier League. I'm saying it again on the 1st of September 2021, so you can timestamp that. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think we're going to win it. Um, we're going to be here in a couple of months and we're going to be celebrating and, and saying, well, we did tell you all that, you know, we, we were going to win the league. So um, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to, obviously, there's, I think, two weeks, um, or yeah, just under two weeks now till we go again against Aston. Villa, half five. Um, interesting game. I love Aston Villa as well, obviously, the local. Birmingham guy so um do have a little bit of an interest in, in Villa but um and they're a brilliant team as well I think they've they've had a really good window um with some of the players that they brought in Danny Ings and um Leon Bailey being a being a brilliant player 
as well. So they've got some players there. It's going to be it's going to be hard, but the bridge is the fortress. So you know, um, I'm confident, and I'm sure we'll we'll do an episode on that as well. Um, you know, in a couple of weeks or so. But any any key internationals you're looking forward to? Um, I was just looking at the score today of some of them. Um, I think France so drawing with Bosnia before this. Like, I'm not not too fussed about international breaks. I think it will be interesting to watch the England games. You know, always interesting to see Mason Mount play on the South Gate. I think Reese James as well. Maybe will want to will be kind of hungry to to play some football after maybe missing out on, after missing out on 45 minutes of the Liverpool game. But um, but yeah, I'll put I'll say England Bulgaria. I think oh, England Hungary. Sorry, as my my kind of game i want to watch the most yeah i'll be watching all, all of them as much as i can um but yeah we're going to be back in in a week or so we uh yeah we're going to be going to be looking forward to the aston villa game and then also we've got the champions league forward to as well straight after that so it's going to be all systems go after the international break um but as always you can you can follow us on twitter and instagram and on twitter at from the shed end and on Instagram at from the shed end with underscores between each of the words. Um, and again, on, on YouTube, you can, can search for us from the shed end, like and subscribe, um, give us comments and all of that stuff as well. But Theo, do you want to just give the uh, the listeners your socials so they can find you as well? Sure. So you can follow me at Sesky Time on Twitter. So Sesky spelled the Sesk Fabregas way. And if you want to see some match day content from the Chelsea Aston Villa game and all the Champions League games coming up this season, as well as Premier League. Drop me a follow, interact with me, and I'll be posting all those those videos and photos up there. Yeah, and and with me, this is T dot Twitter. Um, that's all I really use. But if you want to interact with me, then that's great. But um, this has been episode twenty one of From the Shed End podcast. Thank you all for listening.